Hello, hello, and welcome back uh, to Get Your Own Damn Fish podcast. Thank you so much for following along. Today we have such a special guest. Um, I'm here today with Mayor Franklin Dees of Marshville, North Carolina. Um, he is on his seventh term, mayoral term, since 2005, and he is the first and only black man in Union County to hold such a position. Um, and, and, you know, we've broken those barriers before. It, you know, it's, it's wonderful to say, but we have broken those barriers before. But he is also the author of a book called From Inmate to Mayor. I'm going to let that title settle just a little bit. Um, who he In his own words, he wanted to prove a point that we are not defined by our past mistakes. And this is uh, really where uh, it touched my heart because our, uh, our past so often can jump up and choke us. And uh, we forget that life isn't about the past, it's about the future. But he went above and beyond just uh, writing that book and breaking those barriers. Uh, the foreword of his book is written by none other than billionaire, billionaire, <laughs> Richard Branson of Virgin Records. And I'm going to let him tell you a little bit more about that. But without further ado, I would like to welcome to the show, Mayor Franklin Dees. Mr. Mayor. Thank you very much. I appreciate the opportunity to be here with you. <laughs> Your opportunity. That's so funny. Um, <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for honoring me. Um, and, and, you know, I normally like to help, you know, our audience connect with the guests but um your your story is so transparent um and there's so much to so easily to find out about you in your childhood and growing up um just tell us a little bit about your background and where you came from okay well uh uh born and bred here in north carolina <laughs> uh down in, in, in a small town named Marshfield, uh, about population, about 2,700 people, just enough people to be in everybody's business. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, I, I grew up there in Marshfield, uh, grew up during a time of segregation. I, um, I started the school, all black school, uh, uh, first through 12. We didn't even have kindergarten back then. Mm. Uh, so it was first through 12. Grew up there going to school. Uh, first time I ever went to school with white uh, children was when I was in the seventh, no, oh, eighth grade, when I was in the eighth grade. Uh, so again, grew up doing segregation. Uh, and then later on in my high school years, integrated into uh, 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 a well, we we had to go. We had to go to the white folks' school mm -hmm. with the high school, you know. So anyway, uh, but went to Forest Hills High School and actually uh, did well in school. I was um, captain of the basketball team. I was vice president of student body. 
I was uh, in the honor society. As a matter of fact, I was the first African-American vice president of Forest Hills High School. Mm -hmm. Because again, it, it was, before we got there, it was, it was all white, you know, so. Uh, but did well, did well in school, had a lot of things going for me. Um, I was accepted by the, I was accepted by the nurse because my grades were better than theirs. I, I was accepted by the athletes. Uh, because I played ball, played basketball, played football. Even though I was real skinny, played football, didn't have any business out there on the football field. <laughs> None. But, you know, you could legally hit somebody. So <laughs> you hit somebody, not get in trouble. So, you know. But anyway, played football, basketball. So I was accepted by the athletes. Uh, accepted by the faculty because I was, uh, you know, in student politics or so first vice president. But uh, I wanted to be, <laughs> I wanted to be accepted by, for lack of a better word, the 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 cool kids or the mm. or the kids that I perceive the kids that I perceive to be cool, uh, the kids that were hanging out, uh, skipping school, skipping class, you know those kind of things. Uh, and sadly, I think I just wanted to be accepted by everybody. Mm. And I found out uh, as I've lived these years. And had to teach, and as my children grew up, it had to teach them it's okay not to be accepted by everybody. It's okay not to be everybody's friend. You don't need a bunch of friends. You don't need to be accepted by every group, you know. But at that time, they, they got it honest because that, at that time, I wanted to be accepted by everybody. So, mm -hmm. in order to be accepted by uh, those kids, or the, the, the cool kids, as I call it, uh, and I think, let me back up just a minute. I think part of it, though, was because I really wasn't challenged in school, mm. in, in high school. I mean, I did, I, I did, I had the good grades. I played ball, you know, but it came pretty easily to me, you know. Uh, and part of that was because see, my mother didn't play that. I couldn't bring bees home. She, she did not play. She didn't play that B thing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, you come home with an A. All you got to do is go to school. Now we had chores. I don't know how she said that. I don't know how she got to that. All you got to do is go to school because, because we had chores. We had to come in and understand we were poor. We, mm -hmm. we were poor. We didn't have anything. We, I, I used to have to cut wood and, and do chores and wash dishes and, you know, all that stuff. But she would say, you ain't got nothing to do but go to school. <laughs> so anyway, so you ain't got, <laughs> there's no reason for you not to bring home A's. Because all you got to do is go to school. But anyway, I heard that same argument. You know, <laughs> I'm sitting here yeah. trying to figure it out myself. Hey, but you know what? I've made that same argument to my children. <laughs> <laughs> we are our parents, whether we want to be or not. Yeah, we turn into our parents, regardless. We turn into our parents. But at any rate, I, I wasn't challenged. So I think that was part of the attraction of trying to uh, fit in with that group. It was a challenge for me. And so... Uh, in order to fit into that group, I had to, I had to, I had to do the things they were doing. I, I had to hang out. I had to, you know. So, you know, here comes the uh, skipping class and 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 drinking. Uh, you know, uh, and that eventually led to the smoking weed and skipping school. You know, so now you're you're skipping school. You're you're bored. You're out there on the street. Everybody else in school, so you're bored. Well, here comes the uh, boosting shoplifting, you know, doing this for kids, you know, uh, that leads later on to the, to the harder stuff, trying the harder drugs and 
the, you know, the shoplifting or whatever eventually leads to the breaking and entering, you know, all these things. It, it, it just sort of went along a, a doorstep. I just kept stepping further, mm -hmm. further into that and making, making bad, bad decisions because I made those decisions and, and, and and they were bad decisions now that I'm older and I can look back and see it, but, yeah. but I made those decisions. So anyway, but all of that became an attraction to me. I got attracted to that lifestyle. You know, I, I graduated high school. I had four scholarships. To wow. Yeah. Uh, I, I didn't take any of them. Didn't want to go to college that no, I, I don't want that. So uh, went to the military, did well in the military. Uh, went through basic, got a promotion out of basic, went through AIT, uh, got a got a promotion out of AIT, did well, did well, but then started getting in trouble again, you know, that same old pattern, uh, which led self-sabotage, it sounds like. And you're probably right. I mean, you know, somewhere in my self-conscious mind or subconscious mind, uh, I don't know. I, I, I guess I was I was seeking success without actually wanting to put in the hard work to be successful, you know. The shortcuts. And shortcuts. One take shortcuts. And got again, got attracted to that lifestyle. So uh, came back home from the military and went back into the lifestyle, made a conscious decision. I'm going to be a hustler. That's what I want to do. That's how I want to make my money. So that's what I did and, and, and did okay with it. Do, did pretty well. Started hustling and gambling and uh, robbing and stealing and <laughs> doing all those craziness, all that craziness. And it all, one bad decision led to another bad decision to another bad decision until all of a sudden it came to a, it came to a halt, came to a stop. When I caught a 29 year bid for armed robbery mm. and spent the next 10 and a half years in prison. Mm. So, yeah, so you know, from my bad decisions, I had to suffer the consequences, you know, and so that's what happened. Well, what uh, prompted the change, uh, other than the obvious, because you know, you know, a lot of guys that go in and mm -hmm. they get out and then they go back in, and it's you know, the recidivism rate is ridiculous. But what prompted the change for you when you went, you know, what? Mm -mm. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, quite honestly. <laughs> that change didn't come overnight. Mm -mm. I didn't. I didn't go to prison today and become a model inmate tomorrow. I went to prison with that same cocky, arrogant attitude I had when I was in the street. I mean, I went to prison. I was fighting uh, two and three times a week. I mean, I was in prison one week. I was one and one. I had won one, and I had <laughs> and I had lost one. <laughs> and the one I lost was a doozy. I'm telling you. At any rate, it is what it is. But I, I went in. I went in with that attitude. So I was the same. I was the same cocky, arrogant guy that I was in the street. Um, but I'm going to get away from that just for a minute to go back to your question. What what changed it? There wasn't a change. And that's, that's the question that I get. I mean, whether I'm speaking to one person one-on-one -on -one, or if I'm speaking to a room with four or 500 people, I always get one question. What was the one thing that turned it around? An aha that's, moment. That's that's it. People always ask me, what was the one thing that turned it around for me? And my answer is always the same. There was no one thing mm. that turned it around for me. 
it was a process. Okay, it was a process. Now I can I can relate one incident that happened that started my process. Mm, okay, and that was uh that was in Central Prison. Uh, Central Prison is maximum security. Uh, so when I was in maximum security, uh, I was kept in a single man cell for 23 hours a day. I had one day, I mean, I had one hour a day for recreation. And then you got one hour a week for, t for TV time. <laughs> so one hour a week, you could go and watch TV. And then one hour a day, you could go to the rec yard and go to recreation. So, and the rest of the time you're locked in yourself. But at any rate, uh, so they would move, they would move you to the rec yard to and from the rec yard in groups of about 60 to 75 men. And there were several places where this set of doors had to close before this next set would open, right? And so this particular day, we were on the way back from the rec, rec yard and this particular door set of doors closed, but this set of doors didn't open. So now you got 60 to 75 men in this little cramped space, you know, and the guard is sitting there in the, in the booth. You can see him reading the magazine, sitting there reading the magazine. So, you know, everybody's sort of saying, hey, man, open the door, open the door, you know. Hey, man, open the door, you know. <clears throat> well, there was an intercom. There was an intercom over there where you could push the button and talk to the guard. There was a big old sign up above the intercom. It says, inmates do not touch intercom. Well, by this time, I'm probably about 22, 23. I got to touch it. I, I, I have no choice. <laughs> exactly. I have no choice. I don't think I could have lived if I had touched that intercom. But anyway, <laughs> so I, I eased over, I eased over to the intercom. And and I say 22, 23, but you know, quite honestly, at 22, 23, you're still a young boy. I mean, yeah, you're an adult. You you still a boy. You still a young boy. I can't help what anybody say. You still a young boy. So anyway, I, I eased over there and sort of turned my back to the intercom and push the button and said, uh, now let me ask you a quick question. Your audience, how should I watch what how I speak or should I? No, no, no. We grown folks mm -hmm. here, sir. Okay. Yeah, the title, okay. Of, the title of the show is Get Your Own Damn Fish. Get Your Own Damn Fish. Okay. <laughs> well, I'm finna get my own damn fish. <laughs> no. So I reached over, I pushed the intercom and I said, hey man, open the motherfucking door. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so... <laughs> And, you know, then I stepped away from it. Well, a couple of guys, they kind of laughed, you know. So me and my youth decided I'm going to do it again, right? So I ease over there, push the button, say, hey, man, open the so-and-so-and-so door, you know. <clears throat> well, what I didn't know was that that door that had closed had opened and a guard had come in. So when I did it the second time, he saw me, right? So he comes up and he says, uh, okay, inmate, let's go. You go in the locker. And, and he, he kind of pushes me, but not not, not hard, not mm -hmm. abusive. He just kind of pushes me and says, 
Let's go, MA, you going to lock up. Well, in my usual cocky, arrogant, arrogant self, in my usual cocky way with my arrogant self, <laughs> I say, uh, man, you put your hands on me again, I'm going to your motherfucking ass. That's where I'm going. Okay. <laughs> Short so, trip there. You know. <laughs> so uh, he said, you're going to do you're going to do what I say. And I said, you put your hands on me and I'll show you what I'm going to do. You know. Mm-hmm. So now he's put on the spot. So he's got to come a little harder. Now. Mm-hmm. So when he comes a little harder, he takes me by the shoulder and pushes me, sort of turns me and pushes me harder and says something, I don't know, like, let's go, you're going to lock up, something like that. Well, when he pushed me a little harder then, and the way I say it in my book is, I retaliated with an overhand right that started back in my grandmama's cornfield. (laughs) (laughs) And picked up speed as it came out. I already already know. (laughs) And picked up speed as it came around. But it... (laughs) It picked up all the anger I felt, all the disappointment, all the hurt that I felt. It picked all that up. It picked up the judge. It picked up the jury. It picked up the prosecutor. It picked up all of that. And so when I hit him, I think it surprised him more than anything because you just don't jump on guards and you surely don't jump on guards in central prison. So I think it surprised him, but because he was surprised, he hesitated. So I followed up with a left to the windpipe, and it was all me for a minute. minute. Mm. I mean, I looked like Ali for a minute. But about that time, the goon squad got there, these great big old three, 400-pound, you know, these big old guys with sticks, batons, and the gear, you know. So they came in, you know, subdued me pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. (laughs) took me out they took me up to a uh they took me up to a uh, west control office and it, it was like a office here and then out through through this office into another office out a side door and down a hallway and then they sort of threw me in a chair at the end of that hallway and you know it says stay there or something say something like that you know and and so now and, and of course i'm handcuffed and now i'm starting to sort of realize my situation. So you went when deep said, doo-doo. Yeah. So right. So when he said stay there, in my mind, I said, where the hell you think I'm going? But I didn't say that out loud. Because <laughs> I'm starting to recognize some things. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I'm sitting here handcuffed uh in this hallway or and I'm just sort of looking around. Well there to my right, a door opened and and I didn't even recognize it as a door because it's sort of flush with the wall. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, it, it wasn't, it didn't stick out as a door. But this door opens, and there stood the biggest white boy I ever seen in my life. I mean, you have to understand that uh, I, I didn't even know they made white boys that big. <laughs> I mean, this guy. This guy was probably close to 300 and something pounds and probably was about six, seven, six, eight, you know, huge guy. Now understand, I'm at, I'm 22 then, 23 at the most. I probably weighed a, a buck 60, buck 70. His left leg. 
I'm a I'm a little guy, you know. Anyway, but I'm I'm tall, I'm wiry, you know, but I'm not I'm not heavy by any nowhere near as heavy as I am now, you know. Mm -hmm. But at any rate, so he says, he says, come in here. So he takes me into this little room, small room, 10 feet by 10 feet, something like that. Little small room, little single light bulb in the middle of the room that that just really wasn't bright enough to brighten the whole room. So, you know, you see these shadows. Anyway. <laughs> so something I'm, off a of TV. Huh? Something like you'd see off a of TV. So it, something like, that's true. You either see on TV or in a nightmare. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, because that's where I was. But at any rate, so he says, uh, so you the guy, so you the guy who think you can, or inmate or something. So you the inmate that thinks you can jump on one of my guards, right? And so I'm about to tell this big redneck, you know, in my arrogant, cocky way, I'm mm -hmm. about to tell this this uh, redneck that his guards didn't have any business with their hands on me, right? So I said, well, your guards, and before I could say anything, he was in my face, he said, shut your fucking mouth, inmate. You don't talk unless I tell you to talk. And I mean, this guy is beat red. I mean, veins popping out the side of his head. I mean, I I I don't know. I'm like, oh my God. So I'm like, you know, what? You know. <laughs> so I know it's about to be a mess because something in the back of my mind said, uh, Frank, you might have screwed up this time. Don't nobody know where you at. Can't nobody say you now. You know what I'm saying? And then it's central prison. You and the, the thing about it at Central Prison, because my mother suffered from with a disease called uh, flea bitis. And flea bitis is a disease that makes the veins in your legs swell and burst. Mm. And so because she suffered from that, she couldn't ride in a car. She couldn't ride in a car like 40 minutes without her legs just swelling up mm. and going through excruciating pain. Mm. So with, I only say that to say this, I was in central prison, which was probably about two and a half to three hours away from, from home. So I didn't get visits. I didn't get visitors. Wow. Uh, so, and what spurred that thought is the fact that you said, didn't nobody know where I was at. You're right. No one on the compound knew where I was at, but they didn't care anyway. Mm -hmm. But I'm saying the family knows nothing about this, you know, so anything could happen. And they could tell my family anything and they wouldn't know any different, you know, uh -uh. but that, that thought was spurred by, by what you just said. But at any rate, I won't, I won't prolong it anyway, but let me just say that <clears throat> I ended up, uh, some things happened. It's in the book. So I don't want to give the whole book away. Right. And the movie is coming out and I am so excited. Working on it, working on it, <laughs> working on it. But, uh, he, uh, and and I named the cap the captain uh, the the big white guy. I named him uh, Captain Griffin in my book because I didn't want to give real names. Mm -hmm. But at any rate, Captain Griffin was so angry he put me on death row. He locked me up on death row uh, for two and a half weeks, uh, just out of anger, you know. So so now I'm. I'm on death row and I'm, I'm in a single man sale, 23 hours a day. You still get an hour for recreation. You don't go to the rec yard though. You just get to stand outside your cell and walk around a little area there. But 
long story short, still 23 hours a day, still one hour a day for recreation, <clears throat> but death row is totally, totally different than, than anything. Even within the prison system, death row is different. Than mm. And so, uh, and, and I, I know <laughs> I'm trying to get to the point of what started my process. And so you mean that wasn't it? That was that would have been enough for me to, to step and fetch. Yes, sir. I'm a choir that, boy after that. That did uh that did, but it wasn't just that, because quite honestly, quite honestly, if if because I didn't get beat down, I just say that I didn't get beat down. Uh and I say an angel came in and saved me, just, mm -hmm. just out of nowhere. One thing I can say about this. God loves him some Frank D's. He has always loved him some Frank D's. And no matter what I get into, he always sends somebody to save me. You know, so he he sent an angel to save me and, and, and I didn't get beat down. But the point I'm trying to make is that if I had gone back to general population, instead of him getting angry, instead of the captain getting angry, putting me on death row, if I'd have went back to general population, with the mindset I had at that time, I I think I'd have totally missed the lesson. Mm. Because to me, I'd have been, yeah, man, I was up there, you know, hey, it wasn't nothing. You see what I'm saying? I'd have got back in general population without time to reflect on what just happened. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what happens to a lot of people, our youth, and not just our youth. I think people have situations life-changing situations where they don't take time to reflect on it so they miss the lesson right i think this is a that's a personal opinion i don't have any letters behind my name and i don't have any <laughs> uh documentation to hey, prove it you but know what though they they should really give our doctorates for uh for graduating from the school of hard knocks though because you know i i have a few letters behind my name were that the case mr mayor Oh, I know. Uh, you know, I'm having people, only my GED at this point. I, I've told I people that, I, I've told people that I have a doctorate in life, mm -hmm. <laughs> and and that's true. That's true. But at any rate, so I did. I did. Uh, I did have time to reflect on it, and so I got on death row very, very quickly because time is just running short. <laughs> it, I did not realize what time it is. Okay, so land on it's death your row. world, boss. Okay, <laughs> land on death row uh, at night in my cell. That's when you hear all these other men on death row when they start to repent mm. and pray and cry because I wasn't there to die, but they were. Mm. And, and death was their cellmate. Death was always with them in their cell, sitting, mm -hmm. sitting on the bunk, standing in the corner, whatever. Death is right there with them waiting. So imagine the weight, even on me, it weighed down. Imagine mm -hmm. the weight that it is on them. But that weight at night, just hearing that and started me to think about my own death. And right. subsequently, my life. Right. And I started to have some real 
serious, truthful conversations with me. Mm, that part. That part. That's exactly right. And especially truthful because sadly people lie to themselves. And at that time in my life, I lied to, I lied to myself. You know, people lie to themselves. And I tell people today, when I speak to people, I make sure to make this point and I want to make it to your audience as well. Try not to lie to anybody, but for God's sakes, don't lie to yourself. Mm -mm. Tell yourself the truth, you know? And so that's what I had to do. I had to lay there and think and have some truthful uh, conversations and, and reflect on my life of how I got to be where I was. And those things, that's what started me on the process, the, the reflection, the thinking. Right. And so when I went back to general population, I didn't, I, now don't get me wrong, I didn't just become Mr. Goody Two Shoes all of a sudden, but I started to think before I acted. Ooh, that part. That is I that started, part. That's exactly thinking right. before you act and before you speak. Think. You know, instead of just reacting, because before something would happen and I would just react to it. But now mm -hmm. I, I, after that happened, it's like, yeah, you know, this really, <laughs> really ain't worth it. Yeah. You know, so it, it was that. So and that happened. I was in about three years then. So I stayed in. I was in prison seven and a half years after that. Wow. But that seven and a half years was a process. That's where that process just continued. And other things happened along that way to, to help me with that process and move me along so that by the time I, I, got, I got back uh, to a point where I was uh, partaking in the parole process, and, and, and I always say it like that because some people say when you get out on parole, you're not out on parole. You're just in doing. You're just taking the par the parole process because when you're on parole, you're still in prison. Mm -hmm. That's another part of the prison system. Mm -hmm. You just don't. I mean, a lot of times they they want you to feel like you're out, but you're not. That parole officer can come to your house and violate you and send you back. Walk in straight prison. in your house. You have no rights. They can search you for your stuff. No, that's exactly right. And mm -hmm. you can't even say, "Wait a minute, man. Why are you coming my house?" What that's wherever you live, that's exactly is right. there whoever you live with, or if you living with your mama, your cousin, or your girlfriend, they yeah. are opening their houses up to the to the parole. That's exactly right. Yeah. And, and and here's the thing, and you can't move unless you tell him where you're uh -huh. at. You can't change jobs unless he knows where you work. And so it's it's you know, so that but eventually I did get to that part and, and work my way on out and and I'm just jumping ahead, you know, <laughs> to some things. But ask me another question, because I, <laughs> I know, I know. Um, and okay, so in this, you had two attitude shifts. First, you were doing doing well in school, and then the next thing you know, you were acting out and acting a fool. And I'm sure your family, um, your mom, and you know, and everything was, you know, what's wrong with you, boy? And then you know, you went through that whole process, um, and then the other shift back okay. to popping your head out your butt uh, <laughs> yeah and sometimes that can be a excruciating operation yeah but it, but, it, but it seems like um still the your first order of business 
You know, it's like, because, you know, my book is Get Your Own Damn Fish, but I also wound up writing a workbook uh, to accompany that. And um, part of it, it entails, you know, it's, it's just a workbook to kind of help you look into your, your inner self to find what you need to, to uh, get to go forward in life. Mm-hmm. And part of that is taking ownership right. of your mess. You know, taking ownership of your own actions is one thing, you know, what we do while we living with mama up until we are, uh, you know, adults and responsible for ourselves. But once you make that that transition as an adult, you got to take responsibility for your own actions. And and quite honestly, you're right, because that and that's one of the, the things that came to me out of my revelations, my I mean, my reflections and and my thoughts. Uh, <clears throat> and it's, it's, I mean, it's almost, prof- <laughs> it's almost profound that I came to this almost like revelation in that, that uh, I had to realize that no one put me in prison. I put mm-hmm. myself in prison. Mm-hmm. The choices and decisions I made put me in prison. And as I continue to reflect on that, I realize that that is something that people have to come to, whether they've ever been in prison or not. Mm-hmm. Where you are today in life is a result of the choices and decisions you made yesterday. You see? Sir. And as I continue to reflect on that over the years, the bigger truth is that the choices and decisions you make today mm-hmm. will determine where you will be tomorrow. You see what I'm saying? So, mm-hmm. uh, just, and I always say it twice when I say it. the choices and decisions you made yesterday determine where you are today. And the choices and decisions you make today will determine where you will be tomorrow. You can own your tomorrow with the choices and decisions you make today. And, and to me, Absolutely. that's... You have got to get that in order. You've got to get it. Absolutely. Point blank. You got to get that. So, so yeah. But yeah, there was another shift uh, again, that process. And then I, I came out, I got out of prison. People have asked me this. They said, Frank, how is it that you got out of prison thinking about being a mayor? And most people just want to get a job when they get out of prison. And I have to tell them, I said, Let, please understand when I got out of prison, being a mayor never crossed my mind. <laughs> I had one thought when I got out of prison. I am not going, not going back. back there. I know it. I know that. That's was the whole thought. That was, you know, and I went back and fortunately I, I had a home plan. You have to have to have a home plan. And I went back home with my mother and, uh, and lived with her uh, until eventually she passed, which was several, several years later. Thank the Lord. Mm-hmm. That I was able to 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 live with her and get to know her as a person, you know, mm-hmm. and she get to know me as a person. I mean, you know, I, and don't get me wrong, yeah, that's my mama. I grew up with her, and she knew me from before birth. But and I do apologize. <laughs> Barack just keeps calling me. Hello. Whoa, man! Would you tell him to have Michelle give, give me a call? We keep missing each other. I know. I apologize for that. No worries, sir. Let me turn that off. Uh, 
But it, I anyway. get that call from Michelle, um, from Michelle Obama. That's why. Oh yeah. That's yeah, why yeah. I said I, I wrote it down four and a half years ago that I want to have lunch with Michelle Obama. I had no idea what was going to lead me on that path, but that's mm -hmm. one of my goals is what to have lunch with Michelle Obama and to be interviewed by Oprah. And it would be phenomenal if I was having lunch with Michelle while being interviewed by Oprah. Hey, you got to put in the universe because I'm there. I put it in the universe. That's how I met Sir Richard Branson, believe it or not. That's where I want to get to, Sir Richard Branson. Okay, okay. So uh, I, I went to a seminar out in Las Vegas and uh, a self-help seminar. Mm -hmm. And part of that seminar was a trip. He was the guy that was giving the seminar was selling a trip to the uh people in the audience, whoever wanted to partake, a trip to Necker Island. So as fate would have it, or as, as, as God would have it, uh, this person took a liking to me and offered me this trip at a tremendous discount, because at that particular time, I couldn't afford to go to Necker Island or anywhere else. So that was cool. So anyway, so I'm flying, I fly to Puerto Rico and I have to change planes in Puerto Rico. So while I'm waiting on my next flight in Puerto Rico, I'm sitting there and I'm writing in my journal and I write in my journal. Now, Sir Richard Branson was not supposed to be there. They, they, he, he told us that Sir Richard might be there, but he probably won't. But, you know, you can still come to Necker, et cetera, et cetera. So I write in my journal, I will meet Sir Richard Branson. And he will help me to move forward in my life. Mm. And, and I can find that and show it to you, I promise. I wrote that in my journal. We got to Necker Island and we were there like two days and somebody came up and said, Sir Richard's here. And, and like, you know, it's sort of like, oh, Sir Richard's here, Sir Richard's here. And so then there he was, right? So we speak and uh, I, I got a picture somewhere. We took a picture mm -hmm. of him with him and, and whatever. So he said, well, I'll see you tonight at the party. Cause so they were having a party that night. And so that night at the party, I had left the party cause I don't really party. Right. <laughs> I'm just not the social guy. But anyway, I had left the party and I was coming back up and he was leaving and be, at, we just happened to meet. So we started talking and I shared my story with him. And he was like, oh, that's great. He said, that, that, you know, that's great. Uh, you should write a book. And I said, which I hadn't, I said, yeah, I've been thinking about it. <laughs> I've been thinking about doing just that. He said, no, you should write a, you should write a book. That, that story needs to be told. Mm. If you write the book, I'll write the foreword. And so with an offer like that, how can you not write the book, you, you know? That that part. <laughs> so, that part. <laughs> so I got back, I came back, and I started out, I started out uh writing an autobiography or working on an autobiography. And then these other thoughts were popping into my mind. So I'm I'm jotting these notes down on the side as I continue to try to write this autobiography. Well, after about two years, after about two years, I guess I had about this much autobiography. I had about this much of these notes. Mm. So I could see that this is trying to get out of me. 
you know. So I shifted from the autobiography and wrote what became later as the book I have from mm. inmate mayor. And so it's semi-autobiographical, but even more so, it's more about the lessons I learned along that journey wow. as opposed to being totally autobi uh, autobiography. So, so that's how I ended up. And then Sir Richard, I stayed in touch with him. He, he sent me a video. He did a video promoting my book and sent wow. it to me. Yeah, it's, it's actually on my website. I've got to get back. I hadn't done anything on my website because quite honestly, this is the first interview I've done in a couple of years, two or three wow, years. Wow, really? Yeah. I am honored. Thank you yeah. so much. <laughs> well, I, I was just concentrating on some other things. Uh, in Marshville, Marshville's a Marshville is a small town, but it's my hometown, and there's some things I want to get done. And so I've just been diving into that. I just sort of put everything on hold, diving into that to try to make it happen. And it's starting to come to fruition now. It's been a couple of years, but it's starting to happen. But at any rate, uh, so I've got to build up my website, but it's still up, franklindees.com. Mm -hmm. The, the, That's where I got a lot of information about you. Yeah, good. Well, there's a, uh, and there's the video that Sir Richard did for me promoting my book. It's on there as well. But yeah, that's how I ended up meeting Sir Richard Branson. So put it in the universe. You got to put yeah. it out there. It'll this come is, back. Uh, this is my notebook that I keep with me. And mm -hmm. uh, I actually started writing in this uh, almost five years ago now. Things okay. that I wanted to accomplish by mm -hmm. my 20, by my 50th birthday this right. year um, which will fall in december uh 1221 this year 121171 mm -hmm. and uh some of the things that i've written in there like uh building i wanted a sustainable home you know i wanted to live uh in a dream home with area that's sustainable so i can grow my own garden and stuff and i now live in hawaii on three acres uh, and i'm doing that and you know, some of the things that I put in play that, you know, could actually put me in a position to meet Oprah and to meet Michelle Obama. And so I just, um, I'm a huge proponent of write it down, write it down, write it down. I don't care if you just grab a notepad and write down, this is what I want for my dream. You just got to write it down somewhere. But, uh, you know, I was going through some things about five years ago, my late husband and I, and I said, you know what, I, I know how to turn this around. I want to get me a notepad. And I got that notepad and I started writing out my life as I wanted it to be. And yeah. I'll tell you, I can't uh, think of a more powerful tool that is in the powerful. universe, um, that you know, to, than to write that down. Mm -hmm. But um, just so you know, so we're going to go ahead and wrap it up. I, I didn't mean okay. to keep you this long, Mr. Mayor. Oh, no, that's <laughs> fine. That's fine. I, um, just, I, get, I, get, I get carried away sometimes. And, and you know what? Carry on. I um, I just wanted to kind of give the listeners, you know, what's a, a glimpse into your daily routine? Like, you know, how do you get to be you from the beginning of the day to the end of the day? Oh, OK. Well, now, quite honestly, I got elected mayor in 2005 mm -hmm. and uh, I, I served seven terms as the mayor. So until 2019, I actually resigned. Mm. So I'm not the mayor now. I'm the city manager. Okay. I resigned. How much of the same thing is that? Say that one more time. How 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 close to being the same thing or totally different is that? Uh, it's sort of the same. It's sort of different. And the difference is this: as the mayor, you have to take a bird's eye view of the town. 
from up here, looking at things up here and, and deciding what you want to happen. The manager is the implementation of the council. So when the mayor and the council decide we want to do this, they give it to the manager to get it done. All right. So okay. I prefer being the manager because I like getting stuff done. <laughs> uh, exactly. And true. Yeah, so, so you got a pump up song every now and again. I know, you know, I, I've been in charge of a lot of people a lot of times and a lot of things. So every now and again, you just got to you wake up and you're tired and you just got to put on that one song or that one groove to kind of get you. You got a pump up song? What's that pump up song? <laughs> Something to get your juices flowing. Yeah. Okay. Michael Jackson, you want to be starting something. See? <laughs> I love it. That's, that's, I love it. I don't know why I expected you to come out with some gospel, but of course not. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> nah, nah, no. Because hey. I mean, I, I don't I don't listen to a whole lot of gospel either. I got, you know, a lot of secular music that, you know, like this girl is on fire. Alicia yeah, Keys, that yeah. gets me going. Or uh, Black Eyed Peas, hey, I got a feeling. I'm so excited to point us Yes, <laughs> you know that that gets the juices flowing. Yeah. If you could go back and and talk to uh, 10, 11 year old Franklin, what would you say to you? I'd probably say the same thing that people were saying to me then. Boy, don't mm. be so hard headed. Listen, <laughs> you know, slow your rolling. You, you have to understand. My father was 69 when I was born. So he was already an old man. Mm -hmm. I was born. Uh, he was 66 when my brother was born. So he, he, you know, he he had lived his life and he he was why he was a wise man. Mm -hmm. and so he used to he used to give me these nuggets all the time that went right over my head, you know. And I didn't I didn't even understand them at the time. I mean, he used to say things like Start out like you can hold out, boy. And, and that's the other thing. I don't think he knew my name. I don't, I don't never, I do not remember, I cannot remember my daddy ever calling me by name. He always said, boy, boy, you know, he look at me right seriously and say, boy, that's your problem. Talk too damn much. <laughs> he said, you You'd talk your way out of something and talk yourself right back into it. You know. Anyway, those kind of, I'd probably those nuggets that he used to give me, I'd probably give them to ten-year-old Frank the same way because though they though they went over my head then, they have come back to me so many times right now. I mean, there are times I hear my father talking to me mm. even now. You know, saying something to come up, and I hear him say something like. Uh, Ain't no fun when the rabbit get the gun. And I, you know, <laughs> all kinds of things like that. You know. Oh, I just heard my mama's voice when you said that. Yeah, I know. I mean, it just comes right to But I think that's what it was. I, I would probably just say, Frank, you know, you need to listen now. You need to slow your roll and listen to people. And don't think you know everything. Because that's quite honestly, I, I, you know, even as a child, I always thought I was the smartest thing in the room. I'm, I'm not even I'm not even gonna touch. I'm not even gonna touch yeah. that statement. Yeah. <laughs> My mama, on the other hand, would always keep me grounded. She'd say, Boy, 
two heads is better than one, even if one of them is a gourd head. And I think she was calling me the gourd head. <laughs> Ooh, wee. But anyway, yeah. My grandma used to always tell me, uh, pretty ain't gonna get you so far. Yeah. And right. then what? I and said, then. okay. Yeah, pretty is, pretty does. And, 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 and that's, you know, that's the sad thing. But I try my best to do it, even though they they let my children laugh at me. My my baby girl is 26. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I, I have five children. Well, four live and my oldest daughter got killed. But my mm -hmm. point is, even though they laugh and don't want to hear what I say, and they say, oh, daddy, you so dramatic. Oh, daddy, that's old fashioned. I still have to give it to them. Because at some point it's gonna come back to them. Mm -hmm. So you still got to give it to them. You you can't let. I think some a mistake some people make is that you know they look at their children. The children doing all this and say, "Well, I can't tell them nothing." They you know no, you can tell them because mm -hmm. you have the one thing that they don't have, and that's life experience. Give that to them. But anyway. Well, I um, it's we have almost at an hour, sir. I, I know you've got a uh, busy day ahead. I did not mean to keep you um, this long, but I certainly appreciate you uh, blessing our audience with your words of wisdom. Uh, from inmate to mayor, you guys can find more, find out more about Mayor Franklin D's at franklindees.com. D e e s e. That's right. Make sure you spell it right. And I'm looking forward to the movie. And uh, I'm working on that. Working yeah, on. that is uh, to be a part of that, to just to, to be at the uh, at the, the crux of that. I'm, I am truly uh, excited and honored for you. So um, if there's anything that you want to leave our listeners with other than franklindees.com, you guys make sure that you are. Uh, check them out and follow up. Order the book. Um, it is definitely worth a read. And stay tuned for what's more to come. That's right. Um, thank you very much. I just want to say, again, I said it at the beginning, but let me end with the same thing. I really appreciate the opportunity to speak with you today. Likewise, sir. Um, and so we're going to wrap that on up. Uh, get your own damn fish podcast.com. Thank you all for joining. Peace and love. <laughs>